It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. It's probably not coming home, to be honest. Um, it's probably going to Finland before it's coming home to England. It's Week in the Tackle, our European Championship preview episode. So in advance is this recording, we're not even sure who's qualified yet. So I'm saying it's going to be Denmark all the way, baby. What? Oh, they are in it. Great. That was a complete guess. And they are. I knew, I knew I'd get it right if I just yeah. thought about it. Um, I'm Tom Rennie. Brian Dunseth is with me. Look, the European Championships are coming up. We are still calling it Euro 2020. No, we're not. No, we. No, no genuinely, not. we are. Like, no, we, we're not. We, you cheapskates. We don't have do to do the branding over. You cheap, so many cheap, cheap human beings. Who has ever gone to a major tournament and bought a tournament tee? That's my question here. No, tournament tees are given back. for free. <laughs> this is just to make sure the freebies already printed and made are still usable, but they're free. So it doesn't matter, I don't care what it says. If it's free, if it's in a Hessian bag and has a free t-shirt in it, I will take it, whatever the writing, even if I don't believe in it, I will have it. I will wear it. I will give it to my wife when I realize that I'm not a double XL when she can sleep in it. I'm not saying my wife is double XL. It's more comfortable to be in a big T. Sorry, Mrs. Rennie. Anyway, the Euros are coming up and it is a big tournament. Group A, Group B, Group C, D, E, and F. There's six groups, a bunch of teams we're talking about. If you go to the bookies, and never disagree with the bookies, they have France as favourites. We will talk about them uh, when we get to their group, which is F, Group of Death, uh, for many people, certainly for Hungary. Uh, England second favourites, then Belgium, Germany, Spain. Belgium have started dropping down from joint first favourites after the assault on Kevin De Bruyne in the Champions League final. Um I said, let's just go through the groups and let's just see yeah. what we feel about some of these teams because yeah. there's some interesting bits in there. Group A, let's start with. Uh, we have Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. I'll start with Wales briefly. I know we want to get to Italy, but I just want to mention on Wales, our friend Kit Simons, who works for us on Sirius XMFC as a co-commentator, was part of the great uh, Wales setup that, that did so well in the last European Championships under Chris Coleman. With all this stuff happening with Ryan Giggs, which we won't get into here, Ryan Giggs has stepped aside as Wales manager, Rob Page is going to be taking the team and Kit Simons has gone back as assistant manager. So Kit of Sirius XMFC is assistant manager for Wales during this tournament. And there's still Gareth Bale. They've got Daniel James of, of Manchester United for a few players that uh, our listeners might know. Joe Rodon, Tottenham Hotspur, you know, uh, Ben Cabango at Swansea, who just played in the, the final of the playoffs and he's been a great centre-half this season. They've got a pretty decent squad, actually. But yeah, going into yeah. this tournament... I mean, how do you go into a tournament where the setup has been so disrupted? The long-term plan has been so disrupted. And they, I'm sure yeah. they've got a lot of respect for Rob Page, but I, he's got I no actually, great managerial experience. No, I get you. And, and, and quite honestly, neither did Ryan Giggs. And yet yeah, yeah. here we are. But I think when you talk about iconic stature, obviously the weight of, of a Ryan Giggs inside of that locker room, been there, done that outside of the national team setup, gives you... Uh, a level of uh, self-belief, uh, if you will. But outside of that, there's a Wales team that no doubt competitive, no doubt has some experience, has some exciting players, has some speed and some athleticism, has the ability to score some goals. How many goals they're going to score throughout the course of this tournament is all based on self-belief and results that get them through the group stage. Ultimately, this comes down to, in my opinion, the health of two players. Can Gareth Bale manage his body throughout this tournament, however short or long it may be? Also, the subplot of what's going to happen with him and his club football. And maybe in the same manner, Aaron Ramsey, 30 years of age, allegedly going to be pushed out of Juve when he's on a free at 350 a week. I don't think that's necessarily a free, by the way, subtopic for another day. <laughs> um, but I think when you're looking at players that they are going to have to rely on in the off offensive phase of play, I think it's naive not to look at those two players and say they will absolutely be the focal point on and off the field through the longevity of whatever this tournament looks like for Wales. In their group, I would suggest that they're in the battle for second. Uh, as yeah. Italy, we would expect to win it. Um, what do you make of, of the Italian squad as is? As we record the program, it hasn't been whittled down from the provisional 28 as yet. 
but there's a lot that what I love about Italy, as you know, you watch more Italian football than I do. You know, I watch a lot of Premier League and Championship, and that's enough football for any land mammal to absorb on a <laughs> weekly basis. But what I love about Italy is the thing that we used to criticize England for for years and years and years, which is, well, pretty much all their players just come from Serie A. Mm. You've got Jorginho, Verratti, and is that it for players who don't play in Serie A? I think it probably is. And so for those that don't watch the league on a regular basis, they could be a you know a bit of a surprise for many of us. What 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 should we be expecting from Italy under Mancini? Yeah, and I'd say Florenzi right now at PSG, maybe the other one. I'm not sure what Paul Emerson Palmieri's uh, role is going to be from Chelsea in this squad. The, the the I come down to striker, and, and I know that sounds odd when you're talking about Chiro Immobile and you're talking about Insigne and you're talking about Belotti, um, because you have absolute goal scorers in the side. But Zaniolo. I think with that ACL tear once again weakens this side. I think that Moise Keane not going with him at this stage of his career based on his physical attributes is something different than what you have. Now, it's an experienced side. I mean, you, you talk about and take Chiellini and Bonucci out of the conversation. Mm. I think you are looking at a 26 to 30-year-old group that is in the prime level of their career. And if there was ever a time for Italy to kind of put that stamp back on a European championship right now, it absolutely is. Are they the favorites? No, I would agree. France is France and Belgium for me are absolutely the favorites heading into the tournament, but Italy, I think is going to have a long run in them and ultimately how they're managed throughout the group stage and into, uh, into the knockout round from Roberto Mancini ultimately is going to tell the tale, but it's, it is a fantastic squad of players. It's not a squad looking at it that I would expect to want to watch too many of their matches. And it's not oh, yeah, a manager yeah. who I know isn't particularly entertaining when it comes to football in Mancini. But that looks to me like a side who, if they score the first goal, you're in yes. massive, massive trouble. Benucci and Chiellini, you mentioned, still going. Jorginho, Champions League winner, will hold a midfield with one other. And I think Federico Chiesa is a player I've seen a decent amount at Juventus, you know. Yeah. Build the team around that guy, not the 40-year-old bloke. That'd be my tip uh, if dad. I was looking forward. <laughs> Don't uh, build it around his dad at this no, stage of his career. Did you see, though, um, as an aside, that um, Juventus won the cup recently yeah. and Buffon Played with won the dad. cup with his dad and yeah. the son? Yeah. Isn't that mad? Yeah. Absolutely he's mad. Said, he, he's somewhere there. He, he, yeah, every time I think of... If I think of Buffon, he's in the back of an airplane, his tie's untucked, he's got an unfiltered red smoking on the flight with a glass of red, and that's Buffon to me. Yes, it remains the case. Um, also in Group A, worth highlighting uh, briefly Switzerland and, and Turkey for the Swiss team. Offensively, they've got some real talented players. Brian Bolo at Borussia Mönchengladbach has been fantastic this season. Yeah. Um, certainly in that run, pre-December, the first half of the season, before the, the Marco Rosa stuff and all the, the changes at Gladbach. He looks pretty impressive, uh, I think, moving forward. Defensively, I'd have question marks about Switzerland just going through the players that are there. Uh, I mean, Fabian Scher is going to be their starting centre-half, probably. Yeah, so they, they have some defensive frailties. It's a team that wants to play out of the back. Petkovic, we saw over the course of the 90 minutes in St. Gallen that Petkovic wants to play through Jan Sommer, which is always close to being on the, on the tip of a disaster. I've never been a fan of, of Jan Sommer, you know. He, he's, People have talked about him for years as being He's a like, shot stopper. He, yes. He's an athletic shot stopper. Uh, but in terms of the presence, you can't discount his career, but is he elite of the elite? No, he's not. No. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez is the, the athleticism down the left-hand side. As you said, Fabian Cher, the question is, who is he alongside? Akanji came in in the second half. I would expect if he's healthy to be the starting center back. It's Granit Xhaka-led captain team. Shakiri was horrific. He's still stuck in the back pocket of Serginho Dest. Seferich up top is, I think, a the Benfica striker. He is a presence. He runs the line well. He's a good hold-up striker. He he opens up space for Briel Imbolo. I think Imbolo is a phenomenal generational type of talent mm. if he stays healthy. I think the only thing that slowed him down is that ankle injury where, you know, devastated. I think it was a dislocation and a break that slowed him up. Um, and he's probably one of the players in terms of form and fitness that benefited from uh, this, this Euros being pushed back the season. Uh, and with Turkey also in that group, the question is, can they still keep performances at Aburak Yilmaz, who is a title winner with Lille at Inter in, uh, and it's uh, one of those moves that no one saw coming, no one thought would work. It's almost like a money ball signing that Lille yeah. made 
you know, he scored in the win over the Netherlands fairly recently where um, it was a ludicrous sort of match uh, where he, he was pretty good and he, he played quite well. But yeah, I think that you'd expect, I think, that everyone's in this group battling for yeah. second, right? That's the idea. I would say Turkey, here's the thing, that nobody, um, for Gunish, the the manager, the way that I view Turkey is kind of like the 2004 Greece team that made that incredible run in the Euros. They have talent, they have technical ability and athleticism and everything that you want in the side. But it's also a team, Tom, that you don't want to play against. When you step on the field, you can tell the look in their eye, they're going to kill you. They're going to make you suffer over the course of 90 minutes. And even if you're, 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 you're going you're gonna to beat them three or four nil, it's not going to be a fun three or four nil. Yeah, because the tough tackling, the aggressiveness, everything that is built on the Turkish DNA, which is 100 percent a positive, by the way, I'm not trying to dismiss what they're capable of doing. I'm saying that it's the extras that come along with the performance that makes Turkey such a such a dark horse in a tournament like this. I still got Hakan Şenoğlu as well, who's one of the yeah. best free kick takers in European for football. For sure. Let's go to B. If De Bruyne doesn't make it for Belgium oh. or best Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Russia. <sighs> If De Bruyne doesn't make it, they've already gone down to third favourites behind France, behind England. I mean, again, there's incredible talent. We won't list it all here, but there's an incredible talent in this squad. Yeah. But without him, they don't win this tournament. And here's the thing. If you would have said to me either or Kevin De Bruyne or Eden Hazard, I would have told you Kevin De Bruyne every single opportunity to choose even when Hazard was good I'd have said that I agree and now it's even worse because you can't trust Hazard you you can't you haven't been able to trust him since he went to Real Madrid and injuries I'm sympathetic to the plight of injuries and players careers being derailed because of injury but I also I think there's there's a subplot with Eden Hazard and it's this idea that he's living his best life and when you're living your best life that's one thing but for me, I think when you look at Eden Hazard, he's got more talent in his pinky toe than 99% of the players in the world of football. And I, I think it's personally unforgivable to not put yourself in a situation where the last thing is ever questioned about you is your desire to step on the field based on how you take care of your body. And I think there is absolutely no way that someone cannot draw the parallel of Eden Hazard living his best life that coincides with the injuries that he's been dealing with in the past 24 months. But if he does end up being the star of this tournament, it's the great rejuvenation of Eden Hazard, Real Madrid desperate to raise funds. That's yep. the, the point where you find a buyer somewhere or other. But He's I mean, at West Ham. Oh, wait, no. Um, yeah, he's about seven years away from that, but I look forward to it when it happens. Um, but, I mean, the talent they've got, I mean, look, we do this a lot. They, they've been very much the golden generation Belgian for a few years. Should have sure. won the last World Cup, should have won the last Euros. The quality is ludicrous to a man, right? And, and maybe it's because of, of where they were. I mean, Christian Benteke was thought of as one of the best strikers in Europe when we yeah. first started talking about a golden generation. He'll be in the squad again this time around, and maybe it's not as it was. But the depth is still there. The quality is still there. But maybe some of these players are a bit, it's a bit over the hill now. Maybe even being third favorites is... Back line, for sure. Yeah, the back line. I mean, it, it, this is a, there, there's, for me, there's at a bare minimum, two players that that need to step up throughout the course of this tournament. And it, it's, it's going to be Axel Witzel, who for me is the most important pivot player in that midfield from defense to attack. Uh, and then ultimately, we can talk about as much as we want about Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne, but the health of Romelu Lukaku and the form that he's in to start this tournament based on what we've seen in Serie A with Inter Milan, Lukaku, it has to be the giant for this team in scoring goals. Whether he's scoring goals or setting up space for other players to score goals, Lukaku has to be huge in this tournament. For me, outside of De Bruyne and Eden Hazard, this is Lukaku's team and he has to perform, and the pressure will absolutely be on his shoulders. And by the way, subplot to this, Roberto Martinez, or Martinez, as you guys say across the pond, uh, what happens for him at the end of this tournament? Because yeah. I would assume with the managerial carousel uh, that there's going to be plenty of interest uh, in his signature. If they fall out of the group stage in this group, I would it, suggest that devastation. He'll there is no big job 
for Roberto Martinez or Martinez is so correctly um, <laughs> after this tournament. I did that for you. I don't know why I did it. I've never done that before. And I probably won't do it again. Uh, I'm in your head. Denmark may be the only other threat in this group. And with yeah. Denmark, look, I, I think what they are going to do without any great stretch here is try and defend their way through the group mm. because they've got a whole bunch of brilliant centre-halves. I, I love Wackham Anderson, who's been at Fulham this season. I think he'll be back in the Premier League next season. They have uh, Simon Kiara, AC Milan, Matthias Jorgensen, uh, or Zanka, as we know him, back at Copenhagen. Yannick uh, Vestergaard, Southampton. It's basically big, burly, six-foot centre-halves. I expect three, maybe four centre-halves, Angelotti-style, bludgeon yeah. their way through. Delaney will sit in front. Maybe look for Braithwaite over the top. Yusuf Paulson, we know, is one of the hardest working team strikers in that Firmino uh, sort of style. Firmino, I did it myself there. Firmino style. Um, <laughs> basically, it's a workmanlike side, but it's a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, you throw in Hoiberg in there as well um, alongside Delaney. And again, you've got guys that are willing to kick anything that comes around them. Now, for me, I, I, again, goal score. Is there is there a legitimate goal score? Yusuf Polson has never been a goal scorer. He's not a goal scorer at the no. international level, not a goal scorer at RB Leipzig. It was one of the reasons why I think they fell off as quickly as they did uh, without Timo Werner in the Champions League knockout stage. Dolberg, Kasper Dolberg, size, presence, yes, good, but is he elite of the elite? And, and I'm not sure. And then Brathwaite becomes kind of the, the X factor in this because for Brathwaite, an afterthought of Barcelona, his international play got him to Spain in the first place. And I just think that he's different than what they have in the striker position. But the question is, is different good or is different bad? Because different good means you're the out-and-out -out starter. Different bad means you're relegated to being an impact player off the bench. Uh, the other two teams in the group, I won't lie to you, I don't know a great deal about Finland or Russia. I could do most of these teams, and I think we, we both could do a decent amount. Uh, but Finland and Russia, I actually couldn't name you almost anything about their teams, their players, what they're going to do, how they're going to play. I don't know who these people are. Uh, we'll find out. We will find out. We're not expecting a great deal from them at this stage. Russia continually offer nothing in these tournaments. Um and I honestly don't know a single player in Finland. So we'll move on to Group C, Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia. Is this the tournament where Netherlands or Holland finally get it right? There are many people tipping them as strong outsiders. They're at 12s currently in the Italy range with most of the bookies. And I watched their game recently. I mentioned earlier on the loss against Turkey, which was super funny with Birek Yilmaz scoring that hat-trick for them. Um, but... I don't know. I think that this squad is actually underestimated in its abilities. Defensively, people Tom. like... You Tom. don't think? Tom. I'm trying to talk him up Frank a bit. Tom. You're not having it? Frank DeBoer is the manager. You Americans hate DeBoer, don't you? You're, no. You're... No, I don't hate DeBoer. Every time, I talk, to, every time DeBoer. I talk to DeBoer, He's I great, talk to right? American about DeBoer, everyone hates him. Have Everybody you hates him. Have you, have you ever spent time with him, Frank DeBoer? No, he was, it wasn't there long enough. Okay. <laughs> six of you were in the I never got to Sellers Park in the six weeks he was there. So just to be clear, I have spent time with Frank DeBoer uh, right. with, with ESPN coverage over here in the States. And watching Frank DeBoer, the player, Frank DeBoer, the manager, Frank DeBoer, the pundit, you know, the time at Inter Milan, the Crystal Palace, uh, coming over to Atle Atlanta United, following up Tata Martino, when you go from a very Argentine, Hispanic-based approach to football to then all of a sudden bringing a very, very Dutch very, very Dutch mentality into the side and time and presence and against the, it was a culture clash, right? When you sat with Frank DeBoer, it was enlightening, man. Everything that came out of his mouth, honest to God, I found myself nodding my head like, okay, I can see that. I'm open to this. I understand. We, and then the application of these ideas and this identity fall short now he he won an open cup and he was literally one bombasso of a goal for toronto fc uh away from hosting an mls cup final and that would have totally you know you fall short versus you're in a final and hosting a final it's a completely different conversation but when i watch a frank de boer side in holland versus a ronald kuman side in holland it's day and night it's day and night and the arms crossed or the hands on the chin standing at the sideline. There's no difference in his body language, whether they're winning five nil 
or they're losing 3-0 on the road. Yeah, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's like that, isn't he? And he's, no, 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 uh, he's don't you, coach. don't you, don't, don't, Ole's at the wonky wheel. He's going to get 150 Yeah, but he just million. sits don't there quietly worry. looking at his iPad. No, like no, no, he yeah, waiting for the game Shaw. to finish. Didn't you see, didn't you see he was dropping F-bombs at Luke Shaw in the final? So he's, he's, one, he's, one time. You're a believer in Frank DeBoer. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, even slightly. I'm just always quite surprised. I was just going to list some players that I thought were quite good. And this is a good squad of good players. No, good players, yeah. And, you know, you can see why they're 12s. They were out 20s not too long ago. Um, I mean, all I know really of DeBoer as a coach is his time at Crystal Palace. And that was an unadulterated, unmitigated disaster. They looked under-trained, under-coached. They had no idea what was happening. Um, and quite right. I mean, it's amazing he lasted eight games. They were so bad. I would have sacked him on day two. He was so awful. Um, and he's got this job. Look, there's a, this squad in different hands, maybe. I mean, you don't rate him. No one seems to rate him. Fine. But if you look at players in this squad, Jorginho Vinaldum uh, is a top player. Davy Klassen had a great season at Ajax. Frankie de Jong at Barcelona defensively. Uh, players like Nathan Ake and Daley Blind still going. Matthias yeah, yeah. Delict is still there going forward. Yeah. You know, Val Vekor's been brilliant at Wolfsburg this season. There was a great video when he got told he was called up and he was doing his post-match Bundesliga stuff at oh, Wolfsburg, yeah, nice. yeah. and he was super emotional. Like he couldn't. I don't think he couldn't believe it, but he was just so happy to have made the squad for the Euros, which was lovely. Which shows a little bit about maybe some of the the good feeling there is in the in the Dutch team, which oh, invariably yeah? there isn't. Ask El Ghazi. When he got the text message live when he was doing his interview that Frank DeBoer had, cho- had decided not to choose him. Yeah, but he's not going to be there, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. doesn't but matter that, how he feels but about you it. you think he doesn't have friends on this Dutch squad? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Come Look, on. They're going to balls it up. sent him a text message to tell him that he wasn't being taken. They're going to balls it up. They'll find a way to balls it up. I tried. I tried, no Dutch fans. I tried. And no Van Dijk. Yeah, okay. Bottom of the group. It's also Austria, Ukraine, North Macedonia. Austria still got Marco Anatovic, who's coming back to Europe. They're talking about Bologna uh, for, for him, him returning to Europe. I, he was great, Anatovic. I don't know. I'm, it, I had a lot of issues with Marco Anatovic. It's such a shame he left the Premier League when he did. He finally found the right team, the right position. It was all going for him, and he went to play in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. And now he wants to come back to Europe. Real shame. I, he, was, he could have been a great player, Anatovic. Yeah. But by all accounts, a terrible, terrible person. Um, what do you make to Austria? I think they'll win this group. I actually think that Ukraine's the team that's going to cause some problems. Um, a Ukrainian team that's in a good generation. They're a bit younger. You watch what happened at the under-20 World Cup in Poland. And then... No into, strikers, have they? Who's their striker? No, they've got well, they've got a couple different options. 400 midfielders. Yeah, Yarmchuk is, uh, is probably the one from Ghent, is the one that everyone's going to focus in on. But they're also a team that has a hybrid of three in the back, which then you get into this complication. What does it look like going forward? But at the end of the day, it's just 1.9. I think with Ukraine, the development of the style of football for me is fun to watch because while tough tackling and the, and the piss and vinegar and the way they get stuck in on their challenges, I think it's a, a generation and stick with me for a second. I think it's a generation that has benefited from Ukrainian domestic football that has been so over-reliant on going to South America to pluck their overspending generational talent to help them compete in Champions League and or Europa League. I think that has trickled into the national team because of the domestic experience. And I would just say, while they're not going to win it, they weren't supposed to win the Under-20 World Cup. And again, it's just an Under-20 World Cup but I think what that's done in the last three years has given a layer of experience to a side that when they go into matches where they're not supposed to win, when the other team is so much better than them based on the names and the numbers on the back of the jerseys, that a Ukrainian side could cause some problems. I, Ukrainian teams and Turkish teams and Greek teams are always the three, Tom, every single Euros that I think upset the apple cart. And there's a big result in there that ends somebody's tournament. In this group, looking at it, I would suggest that Austria looked the strongest of the, of the teams in there. But I think it's quite interesting and says a lot about our faith in the manager of Netherlands that we've taken <laughs> Austria and Ukraine to win the group 
And then <laughs> I thought you started backing Frank DeBoer, and now you're saying I, just, I was just surprised. Strongest. I'm just surprised by how much people dislike him. But uh, oh. you know, he's you never go back to an ex, do you? You know, he hurt you. I understand. No, but, you go back to an ex. You just realize really quickly you've made a terrible decision. Only if it's David Moyes. That's the only time you go back. Uh, let's go to D. All these squads still to be whittled down. It's England, Croatia, Scotland, the Czech Republic. A lot of people backing England uh, mm. up there with France, second favourites. At times they have been favourites, but then I think people looked at some of the players that France have. Um, my big doubt with England, and as we record the programme, there's still a few people to be whittled down from this squad. We're still at the 33-man squad stage. Um, I mean, offensively, some of the tens and some Crazy. of the flitting players they have, I mean, for those that, that don't know some of these players that are currently in the squad, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, Bukayo Saka still in there at the moment, Jaden Sancho, Raheem Sterling. These are the players who can buzz around Harry Kane, who's the best striker in English football. Uh, and him and Lewandowski are the one and two best central strikers in European football. And that debate can run and run. Normally goes Lewandowski's way because of, you know, trophies. The big question for me is the way Gareth Southgate plays and what they do without Harry Maguire. Because Maguire wouldn't have played since he picked up that injury, didn't play in the European final. Getting out of this group without your linchpin central defender, I'm not sure how you set this up. I'm not sure how this team would play. I would, I would look for the three at the back that worked well at the World Cup. He seems to have moved away from that. Gareth Southgate to go to a more 4-2-3-1 with, with two holders in Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, who I think have a very good balance. And that's the pairing that I'd be playing. Uh, in, in, in the big game, certainly in the Czech Republic game and the Croatia game, I'd be looking for two defensive midfielders in that too. I think Calvin Phillips is okay following his injury on the last day. Look, I think this squad is nearly there. I think yeah. it's nearly there, but I'd be concerned about the lack of a Van Dyke type. Maguire is England's Van Dyke, for better or for worse. And without him, I'm not sure there's a pairing in there, which is why I would go three, which upsets everything. You know, music to my ears is listening to Tom Rennie talk about a Manchester United player in the manner in which he has Tim Horsey. That uh, big old slab head, Harry Maguire, is the most important feature to this England squad. Mm. I got to be honest with you. This is a close second to listening to you on Talk Sport every weekend on Sirius XMFC call a Manchester United win. I, I don't think it's about defenders. I think it's about your goalkeeper. I think it'll always come down to the goalkeeper. I think England is in a in a similar situation to the United States right now. The the generational goalkeeper is not available and it is open for competition. And I know everyone will talk about Jordan Pickford has to be the the outright number one. The conversations of Nick Pope or or Dean Henderson or Sam Johnstone or Aaron Ramsdale. The the reality is there's not one that is absolutely better than everybody else. And I think the Michael Jordan Pickford uh, gifs are right around the corner this summer for him coming out and making a mistake. The question mm. for me for Gareth Southgate is what does he value more? Getting his best defenders on the field or getting his best attacking players on the field? Because I think that dictates tactically how he's going to play. If he wants his three center backs to be the, the base foundation of the way this team plays, then he's going to have to sacrifice an attacking player and a really good attacking player at that. Because if he plays three, then you're talking about either Walker or Reese James on the right. I think Chilwell or Luke Shaw on the left, and you can make your argument either or, depending on how you want. I 100% agree with you. Defensively, giving that balance with a defensive midfielder, either a one or a two defensive midfielder or some type of a hybrid of a balance. But my God, when, when you're thinking about Mason Mount and Phil Foden and Jack Grealish and Saka, uh, you're thinking about Sterling and Rashford and Sancho and Mason Greenwood's availability. There, there's so many ways to go offensively yeah. for Gareth Southgate. So I think it's, it's, it's very simple. It's either... I want to build my foundation with my best defenders available, and that would be a three-back system, three central defenders, or I'm going to figure out how to play with four and try to get a hybrid of as many attacking players that essentially becomes a 4-2-4. Four, four. Mm. My two outside attackers, you know, Harry Kane with somebody playing off his shoulder, and that gives me the, 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 the rigidness that I need, but gives me the goal-scoring opportunities. 
really interesting with England. I won't dwell on them too long, but I think they're absolutely in with a chance of winning this tournament. But if he I'd gets agree. that balance right, I think that they are the second strongest squad, quite rightly second favourites. There's a lot of winners in this team as well, which there yes. hasn't been in yep. previous times. It, there's lots of questions at this point. The Jordan Henderson question, the striker question, who goes, who stays. The goalkeeper thing, I think it is Pickford. I agree that it could be any, but I think it has to be Pickford on his experience. But what you do without Maguire, with Maguire, I actually think that I would make them favourites to win it. I genuinely would. But without Maguire, I'd be looking at two defensive midfielders protecting two weaker centre-halves. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. It's a massive, massive challenge, but hey, the kind of challenge that you have not had for a long time. Let me ask you this. Did you ever, ever, ever think you'd be at the stage where you'd be thinking that Gareth Southgate would have the, the amount of success that he's had after what happened at Middlesbrough? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am pleased about it because... Yeah. I think it's been proven time and time again that club football and international football just ain't the same. It's nowhere Completely near the different. same. It's a totally Completely. different yep. job. And the team you have for one set of games in March in the stupid way the calendar is arranged isn't the team you've got in June. It's completely different in so many ways. Injuries, fitness, new players emerge, everything. And the lineage from under-21 manager to senior manager is something that so many other teams have got right, as well as yep. assistant manager, who to manager. Look at Germany, Hansi Flick now. Uh, Wacky Mler, but before him, scratch there is a. Stuff. Are you scratch, the kind of person? Are you the kind is of it, person? Is it the front? Is it the back? Is it the front? Is it the back? Is it the nose? Is it the mouth? All we know is that this team smells good. I, I think you. Hey, what's cooking? We are, and my butt crack. Every time you go to Yogi Love and it is an ISO shot during the Euros, I swear to God, everybody who's listening to this podcast is going to say, Brian Dunseth, damn you. Because the moment he goes front, back, side to side, it's going near the mouth or the, the nose. It's happening. Oh, yeah, it's happening. Let's move on from that. Croatia, the team that knocked England out of the semifinals of the World Cup three years ago now. I watched the game of theirs recently. And the amazing thing for me is that nothing has changed. No. And they were an aging side when they yeah. lost the World Cup final. But it's still seven or eight of the same players built around Luka Modric, who's still playing at... 400 years old. It's it's still built around Mateo Kovacic and Brozovic and Rabic and Perisic. the same people. Yeah, You know, I think there's maybe three or four in the squad that I don't recognize from the previous tournament, but it showed when I watched them. It looked slower, they look older, and I still think they're going to be a threat and a danger because of the sheer extravagant talent they've got. Yeah, But of all the nations here, they're the one that nothing has seemingly improved. But I, and, I'm, and I'm not sure that it has to to be quite honest. I mean, it's a team that in 2018 in Russia, we all looked at and we weren't asking like how they got there. We were saying, Oh, I understand how they got there because of the experience go through the squad and the amount of clubs, Atletico, Marseille, Lille, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Atalanta. It goes on and on. The, the experience is always there. And I feel like every time you're looking at a big club, there's a big Croatian presence. There's a big Croatian presence in the side that helps it get over the top. So while I agree with you, we're kind of looking for generational talents, right? The young, exciting, okay, this is the player. I don't know if they need that. I think they, they've, they've built off three years worth of experience to say, we're never going to be favorites. We're never going to be considered favorites, but if they get there, if they're in that that final four, we're looking at them saying, we shouldn't have been surprised, man. It's yeah. Croatia. I mean, I'd be looking at this group and F of, of, of the groups that are there for the strong third-place finishers that will get for you sure. through to the knockout sure. rounds because there's yep. four of the six, the best third place will get through. The group is almost useless. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're literally designed just to get rid of Scotland. Speaking of <laughs> Scotland, uh, we should mention... Um, the, the land of the Rennie family, uh, Scotland, made a major tournament for the first time in a long, long time. 1998 France, the World Cup, was when they last made it. Uh, brilliant the way they made it. It's a great story. Steve Clark in charge, um, who's a, is a very popular doer Scotsman, which is what you want from the Scotland manager. And look, it's going to be a battle for them to get out of the group. But if anyone can battle, it's this Scotland team. And they actually do have uh, a little bit of flair in that team as well, which they've shown uh, in the last few games they've played. And... They have a great balance, I think, of battlers and creativity coming from midfield. It's whether Lyndon Dykes, who 
done it during qualifying at QPR. Che Adams, yeah. who's now kind of their che, lead striker, yeah. who wasn't there during much of qualifying. It's whether they have the ability to score against these defences they're going to be up against. Because when it comes to quality in midfield and you ain't getting past us, pal, and that's what they say in Scotland, you're not getting past us, pal. <laughs> Scott McTominay and John McGinn and Billy Gilmore, yeah. that's pretty strong. That's up there, I think, as, as trios go. Yeah, Scott McTominay in particular, I think this is going to be a huge opportunity for him in this tournament because I think future United captain. Definitely, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I have the utmost respect for him. And he does look like Ivan Drago from Rocky, I must break you. <laughs> How do you put reasonable expectations on their hopes in the Euros? Because there, there, there's, there's not a lot of expectations, right? But I hate the word pride, but I think there's going to be a prideful presence for them in the group stage. Now, wherever that falls in line with results, uh, that's going to differ. We should say they're going to be playing in Scotland as well. Yeah, no, yeah, and and I think that's going to make a massive difference. Sorry, I should have said that. That's the prideful performance aspect of what what I was alluding to. Do they have enough? And I don't think they do, but will they put in a shift? Yeah, Mm. they absolutely will. But I agree with you, whether it's Lyndon Dykes or it's Che Adams or or it's Ryan Frazier, who was very rarely used yes. for Newcastle. They've got assets, but individual assets versus collective. I think these are collective performances, not individual performances for Scotland. The great thing I love about Scotland is when they last went to a major tournament in 1998, there was a band called Delamitri, who are back yeah. now for the first time in 20 years. And their, their official anthem for the, the World Cup in 98 was called Don't Come Home Too Soon. And it's just... I remember that. One of the best uh, songs for a nation because they were like, this is going to be terrible. If we get out of the groups, it's going to be amazing. Don't come (laughs) home too soon. It's the most Scottish thing ever. It's right up there with Donald Where's Your Trousers and Haggis. Can I, can I quickly tell you, oh, I've got a Haggis story, but can I tell you my Barry Ferguson story really quick? You can't tell us the Haggis story. So we're at the Toulon tournament. It's 1997. U.S. national teams there were the under-20s, right? So we're staying on this island, and our group stage, I think Mexico was on the island, Scotland was on the island as well. So it's you got to take a boat back and forth. I mean, th- th- it was literally on an island. So we're playing in Toulon. We're playing the tournament. We play Scotland. Josh Wolf, who's the Austin FC head coach right now, gets just absolutely studded by Barry Ferguson. I get in the mix. We've got hands on each other's throat. We're MFing each other back and forth. I don't understand a word he's saying because <laughs> that Glaswegian dialect is coming Impossible. through strong. He's just spitting and gurgling at me. So from that point on, on the island, when we're going to meals, like we're just staring at each other. <laughs> Fast forward to October. Richard Goff had come to the United States. I went over to Rangers to train for three months. I'm in the locker room. They've given me socks, shorts, a T-shirt, and a long sleeve T-shirt. There's no jacket, no beanie, no gloves, nothing. This is Scotland, freezing tits. Get out there. And in walks Barry Ferguson. I'm literally pulling up my socks. And you're going to have to bleep this, Tim. Barry goes, what the f*** are you doing here? I'm like, hey, what's up, buddy? How are you? And from that moment on, we became like best friends. Me And this is when Barry was graduating the first team. You're talking about Gaza. You're talking about Ali McCoist. You're talking about Stanley Stensoff. You're talking about, I mean, it, what Michael Negri, Marco Negri we were playing. Brian Laudrup, Gordon Jury. Reno Gattuso. Yeah, it was amazing. literally Barry and Reno and I and this guy, Ubisoft. George Halbert. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember yeah. him. Oh. It was a great team. It was fantastic. So, um, yeah, that was, my, that was my Barry Ferguson story. Brilliant. Uh, I love it. Because he was breaking through. Briefly, Czech Republic, it's basically all Slavia Prague players. They had a great run, didn't they, to the yeah. um, quarterfinals of the, of the Europa League this year. Vladimir Sufal, we know. Thomas Socek, we know. Patrick Schick at Bayer Leverkusen, we know. Uh, again, it could be another good, hard-working team uh, in that group. Tough group for England, but I think that will be an English win followed by Czech Republic and Croatia battling for second. Maybe a good third-place group contender. Let's go to E because there's still so much to get through and no one wants to hear any more of this. Group E is Spain, Sweden, uh, Poland, and Slovakia. Uh, Spain right now, four favourites. England, um, France, Belgium in front of them. They're level with Germany right now in equal four favourites. These things change. So when you listen to this, it might have changed, but that's how it is as we currently stand. Uh, 24-man squad named nice and early for Spain, so further mm. spots still to add 
uh, should they want to. Um, Luis Enrique, the coach, said, we don't want to take any more than 24 because, quite simply, two additional would not have any chance of playing. So I'm not doing it. Here's my 24. Uh, and before we get into the playing staff, of which, as ever with Spain, it's a lot of talent, I like that because I had a lot of issues with Gareth Southgate naming 33 a week before the tournament. And I know that England kind of went further with more of their players in European competition than than Spain did. And so he, he kind of wanted more time to assess injuries and everything. But if you've got the squad in mind, why am I naming five strikers? I'm not going to play him. And if I need him, I'll call him later. Mm. I like this from, from, from the coach. Yeah, it, it, de- it definitely creates a culture of these are my guys and I believe in you. And I think it creates a loyalty back 100%. But I also understand the idea from Southgate to making sure that he can have a week and a half's worth of training understand up close the form that these players are in or give the players the opportunity to build into form recovering from injury to then select what he feels like is his best group. I got to be honest with you for Luis Enrique, the biggest risk for me is a cultural risk inside the locker room because of the band of brotherhood that players create throughout the course of their career. And by dropping Sergio Ramos from this side, Mm. I think is a massive, massive statement. You've got a guy that's on the verge of 200 caps within the calendar year. And the fact that you've walked away from him at this stage of his career, when arguably on both sides of the ball, he's still one of the most important center backs in the game. When you talk about piss and vinegar as P. Laqueta, me versus you, I'm going to get underneath your skin. He's one of the dark art villains, agitators that still belong in the game. On the flip side, his ability to ping a 60-yard diagonal, set pieces, free kicks, corners, and from the penalty spot, he's he's a unicorn of an asset. And there's mm. very, very rarely center backs that can contribute on both sides of the ball. So to walk away from him, and I know Emmerich Laporte was the spade in the back pocket that maybe transforms the difference in the conversation, mm. but Eric Garcia is far from ready to be an international starter at this stage of his career. So, well, that was the weird thing, wasn't it? He said he was going to pick players because they'd been playing football. Which is, it's BS, yeah. It's and Eric Garcia has not played for like a year. If you would have watched him in uh, the Carabao Cup semifinal or in the last couple of games of the season, he, he's he's far off the pace. For so has he been him on personality, starter. do you think? He's been him, he doesn't want Sergio Ramos sitting behind him, briefing against him. I think there is 100% the threat, and let's not be, be naive. I would assume that he is ears to the ground with everything that's transpired behind the scenes at Real Madrid with Zinedine Zidane this year. Mm. And ultimately what happens, let's again not be naive. Let's recognize that players near the end of their career, on the backside of their career, in their mind, they're still 23. <laughs> Sergio Ramos is an absolute unit. If you watch his Instagram or his workouts, it's like the dude's a, a, like a stunt double in the movie 300. He is shredded. His, his striations have striations in his muscles. He is the opposite of Eden Hazard. He puts everything in his body. He's the closest to Cristiano Ronaldo that there is in the game that takes care of himself. But to your point, managers are always acutely aware of the environment that they have created that then when you're in a knockout round format tournament, that the little things matter. And if Sergio Ramos isn't 100% a starter for Luis Enrique, then what this tells me is there's concern that the environment collectively can't handle the individual. And that Sergio Ramos's presence could be the outlier for success or failure for Spain. Really interested in seeing Spain and, and what they yeah. can do in this tournament because the, the quality is, is ludicrous, as you'd expect, from Spain. But also, it is a step below the great sides of, of 10 years ago now. The, yeah. the, the incredible star power of the team isn't there, but there's a real consistent 8 out of 10 level with almost every single position. They're going to be really, really interesting. But I would certainly question, as all my Spanish colleagues do, David De Gea being the starting goalkeeper of the ones that are there. And he's going to be the starting goalkeeper, I would suggest, even at this point. Listen, let's move on to Poland in that group. My question to you is, Robert Lewandowski, is this his tournament? Because undoubtedly, he's the best player in it. I want to say yes, but I wanted to say yes in 2018 in Russia. That, that, was, that was the tournament, remember. Mm. That was when he got himself a new agent. He was on the backside of the season with Bayern Munich, and it was supposed to be his move to Real Madrid. That, that's what was supposed to happen in Russia in 2018. And 
He groveled back with an apology and literally broke Gerd Mueller's record a week and a half ago. Is it his tournament? 100%. It's all based on goals, 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 and goals. But the simple argument is this. This team is nowhere close to the quality that he has at Bayern Munich in his domestic football. Mm -hmm. It's not that he lets down Poland. It's that his teammates let him down with the lack of quality of player around him and the service around him. Are they the outliers? If they get through to the knockout round, I think that'll be a successful Euros for Poland. But height of expectation, I mean, it's Lewandowski and Milik, right? Those are your goal scorers. But they do, for me, have the best player in the tournament. I, I'm not sure that many would, would disagree with it. They've got players like Mateusz Klick and Jakob Moda who are going to put a lot of energy into midfield. Look, very tough for Poland, very tough for Poland. But if they can be strong defensively and stop opposition players getting through on their goal, if they get a chance, they score a chance. And tournament games are tight. They are very, very tight. And that kind of explains how Sweden have got out of so many groups over the years, considering... Yeah. It's such a workmanlike group, which is why they tried to bring Ibrahimovic back. Of course, he's since got injured um, and, and they are in that group as well. We expect similar sort of performances from them. And I would suggest a, a similar story for Slovakia as well. And let's go to F, the group of death, the final group in this discussion pre-tournament. Hungary, Portugal, France and Germany. Bad luck hungary <laughs> oh my god can you imagine them sitting there the delegates going oh good okay we got france so good to play france and um oh, portugal okay well okay well that's gonna be tough and um who's the others what <laughs> how do you say mother in polish what was the point of even qualifying for this um like, we'll get to them but france are everyone's favorites they're yeah. everybody's favorites the list of people who didn't make their 26-man squad, it's mental. It's absolutely mental. The quality of player that Didier Deschamps has at his disposal, not just offensively with Karim Benzema brought back in. I want to ask you about that because that's incredibly controversial. Kingsley Coman, Antoine Griezmann, Mbappe, of course, but defensively too uh, with Lucas Hernandez of of Bayern Munich, Kimpembe of, of PSG. You know, it's... It's just ludicrous. Well, think about goal the quality keepers. they have. Yeah, think think about Hugo Lloris and and Manion just left Lille as league on winners and signed with AC Milan, and, and and pushed out Donnarumma as well as Mino Raiola. For me, Tom, when I look at this, what's different about this group? Sorry, we didn't the, say Conte. I just got to say we didn't mention Conte, yeah, Conte, the best player yeah. in the Champions League this year. Sorry, world. carry on. Yeah, we should have mentioned world. that. Oddly, it's less about the players. It's more about Didier Deschamps. Didier Deschamps, by welcoming back two players, one Karim Benzema, which the the complexity of the situation that led to him being pushed out, I've said this on many occasions on Counterattack, what happened behind the scenes? Where in the French Football Federation was the conversation that led to Deschamps or those above him to open the doors for Karim Benzema return? Hmm after everything that's transpired with Balbuena. And the case is still live, by the way. It's he can still go to the jail course. in a couple months. Yes, that's the insane. craziest about this. So why now? I think if Olivier Giroud had been playing week in, week out, Karim Benzema is not in this side. And this kumbaya, sympathetic return of personality between player and manager never happens. The same goes for Adrian Rabio, who, by the way, his agent, his mother, looks like throw mama from the train. You know, like Goonies, the, the mean lady in Goonies. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay, so we're on the same page here. Throw Mama from the We've train. We've all Adrian seen Robert. Throw Mama from the train, buddy. Come it's on. That's great. I'm just saying, there's a generational gap with some of our listeners. Um, the fact that Rabio is back in this side after, remember, declining to be one of the reserves in 2018, I think is really incredible as well. So, yes, the players, the players, the players. But for me, the subplot to this is Deschamps. And how has he evolved as a manager? And I wonder how much he looked over at Yogi scratch and sniff low and said, okay, he's brought back Hummels. He's brought back Muller. And you're thinking about him. Is it front? Is it back? Is it side to side? Uh, I wonder how much that has played into Deschamps looking at this tournament and saying, okay, Giroud not playing a lot. I know I can play Mbappe. I know I can play Griezmann, but by God, we've got Kareem Benzema. And think about the chances and the service that'll be generated with his type of caliber of striker up top. And for me, that puts them over the top. Yeah, I mean, time's a great healer, isn't it, with these things? And this France squad is, I mean, it genuinely is ludicrous. And your point is absolutely right about Deschamps. Can he, can he mould it? Can he make it work together? But quite frankly, 
he hasn't got to do that much. He hasn't got to do that much with players like this. And it's not just that he's got a bunch of like 90s Holland fancy Dans who can't stand each other. He's got N'Golo Conte who can pull it together. He's got Rafael Varane who can pull this team together. He's got people like Griezmann who's got incredible experience and can pull this team together. Mbappe has shown himself to be a leader at Paris Saint-Germain multiple, multiple times at 22. Lloris, captain of club and country, maybe not as good as he once was, but I would expect him to start and hold this together. There's so many leaders in this team. And you look at Paul Pogba in the Europa League final, you look at him in the famous videos of the World Cup win. You know, he is a leader. He is a leader. I think he is one of those players that if it wasn't for the fact we're always talking about his ability or lack thereof at certain points, if he was slightly less talented, we would talk more about what he brings to the team as a person. 100%. He's a complimentary he piece. Team. He's yeah. a complimentary piece. He's not a focal point. And that's what always gets lost in the conversation about Pogba. The hair, the boots, the money, blah, blah, blah. It's because he's so technically gifted and his gait is just a little bit different than everybody else that all of a sudden it's like he, he he's an easy target. An easy target for all quote-unquote right reasons. But I agree with you. He's a complimentary piece in the side. I'll give you one name. One name, just think about the entire tournament. Marcus Taram. Mm. Marcus mm. Taram from Borussia Mönchengladbach and his availability in this side, he's different than everybody else on this squad. We've done an hour on this, and to be honest, it's a waste of time because France are going to win it. So that was a whole, <laughs> the whole thing was, was pretty pointless, to be honest, because France, like, we should have just done them first and we could have yeah. got home already. Uh, briefly to scratch and sniff, uh, final tournament in yes. charge. We know Hansi yes. Frick is, is going to be taken over at Germany after this. It's a brilliant story that Thomas Müller has come back in. It was dumb. He wasn't in for such a long time. They're recovering from the awful World Cup they had last time out, which was uh, an incredible embarrassment. You know, Manuel Neuer down the wing as South Korea score the winner. One of the most bizarre things you will ever have seen. Um, You know, not a great deal has changed in in terms of this German squad in the last three years, apart from those that have come back in as opposed to those that have come through. You're looking at Kai Havertz making the step through to the senior side as the only real big change. And as previously established, consistent six out of 10 player is what you've got there. And the star quality hasn't emerged yet, maybe in a couple of years, but you're asking him to do it right now. And and we've seen the step up has been slow and steady with Kai Havertz, as opposed to Mbappe, for example, who burst on and, and, and has been a world star ever since he was 16, 17. How did Germany win this tournament without, without a proper center forward? Pragmatic, pragmatic approach. Um, I think for Yogi Love, one of the reasons why he... He not only turned to Thomas Muller, but he turned to Mats Hummels was because he knew he needed a defensive foundation that would give him the security to allow his players to get forward. And you think about the spine, the potential spine of this team, Manuel Neuer, Mats Hummels, um, Joshua Kimmich, Hmm. Leon Goretzka, and Ilkay Gundogan. By the way, if Emery Chan plays a second in this tournament as a central (laughs) defender, I will pluck every piece of that luscious Lego helmet that he has because outside of Jack Grealish, he's got the best head of lettuce in the game. Yeah, it, it's, it's pragmatic. By the way, fascinating that when you look at the designation of player and position, Kai Havertz is a midfielder. And it just, I mean, again, but, Thomas, but he's, Jose, he's, he's, not, he's not designatable, is he? He's not designatable, Kai Havertz, because he has he, no position. He's a hybrid. He well. Yeah, he's a high, I 100% agree. He's a hybrid. You, you could almost ultimately say the same for if you played a flat 4 4 2 and you were saying, okay, where does Mbappe play? Well, Mbappe plays right wing. Well, if you're in the front three, where does he play? Well, he's, he's not so much high, deeper, he's higher. Oh, well, we don't have a nine. Oh, so he's a nine. So I think, in a similar sense, when you compare and contrast them to Mbappe, completely different players. But as versatile as one another, maybe not as lethal, obviously. But listen, you talk about Tony Cruz. Uh, you're, you're, you're talking about Serge Gnabry. You're talking about Leroy Zane. Mm. And the disappointment for me, I don't think he's come close to recovering to the player he was at Man City underneath Pep Guardiola. I don't think those performances have matched. The question ultimately is who's alongside Mats Hummels. And when I look at Nicolas Zula and I look at Antonio Rudiger, mm. it screams a three center back setup. Yes. But I'm not sure that Yogi Love, scratch and sniff, front, back, side to side, is actually thinking about that. I mean, the surprising thing to me is that, you know, for everything that Yogi Love has done, you can see why they've let him have this tournament and he qualified for this tournament. But anyone who's watched Germany in the last two or three years, you would have been left baffled by some of the performances, the tactics, sure. the, the underwhelming showings they've put in. And even the reaching back to Müller and Hummels to save the day at the end. I think this tournament's going to be a disaster for Germany. 
I think it's going to be awful for Germany. It's a, it's a tough group they are in. And it feels like everything for Germany now is building towards that next generation, which Hansi Flick is going to lead. Um, and there's that big gap between players who are 33, 34, and the big gap between players who are 21, 22. And, and I, would, yeah. I here would have made the change. I mean, you know, who am I compared to the German Football Federation, all that sort of stuff. But I would have got rid of Yogi Love before the tournament, brought Hansi Flick in for this tournament and started the new cycle right now. It still feels like a bit of the dying vestiges of the last regime yeah. with a bunch of young players who will come to the fore at the next World <laughs> Cup. Yeah. I'm surprised that Flick isn't in now. And I think that could cost them when it gets to games like the France game. And also the final team we're going to preview here, uh, which is Portugal. Because, I mean, they are further out than Germany at the moment in terms of what the bookies think. There are eights, the tens, the twelves. People don't fancy Portugal. And I'm really surprised by that, considering, you know, you're always starstruck by Ronaldo. Of course you're starstruck by Ronaldo. The world is. We've got Instagram. But the quality and depth of this squad, from an attacking perspective, is incredible. And defensively, they're starting with Ruben Diaz, who won the league for Man City. Alongside him, maybe Jose Font, who won the league at Lille, or Pepe, the legend of bastardry from Porto. You know, you've got a real strong, you ain't getting past us defence, yeah. strong holding midfielders in, in Ruben Neves, William Carvalho. Jean Martinho will sit, can sit there as well, even at 35 and still do it. No one's talking about Bruno Fernandes as being the player of the tournament. Maybe we should be, considering he took the last two months at Man United off. Uh, and going forward, away from Ronaldo, you've still got João Felix, Bernardo Silva, Diogo Jota. This is strong, man. This is stronger than Germany for me. I hate you. I, I really do. That shot at, at, at Bruno was completely unwarranted and Accurate. unnecessary. And unnecessary. The Pepe, Ruben Diaz, and, and Jose Font, I mean, you're looking at, what, a combined age of like 167. Yes. With just Pepe and Jose Font on the side. But Nelson Semedo on one side, Joao Cancelo on the other, uh, Rafael Guerrero and the fantastic season he's had at Borussia Dortmund. There's no reason to think that this team defensively in their foundation for Fernando Santos couldn't continue to do and build upon the success that they've had. And I think there's a self-belief that they know they, they don't deserve to be there, but they can be there and feel like they deserve to be there, if that makes sense. They've, mm. they've got to earn it. They know they're going to have to suffer, but they're going to have to earn it. I'm going to say something, and it's outlandish and outrageous. I think this Portugal side, when Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive for COVID, looked better without Cristiano Ronaldo than it does with Cristiano Ronaldo. He will always be the X factor. He will always be the elite of the elite. And the toll that his body has taken over the years has changed him as a player. And I think we saw it this year in particular at Juve. I think that this is a generational team right now for Portugal. And we've seen so many generational teams, but I agree with you with Moutinho, Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes and uh, Diego Jota, those type of players. I think you're looking at two different teams. I think you're looking with the team with Cristiano and the team without Cristiano mm. and without Cristiano, I think are just as lethal, just as dangerous as the team with Cristiano but it feels different and tactically looks different with either or Cristiano Ronaldo in or out of the starting 11. Another one like Germany, if there was a new manager in charge, I think the old team would have been biffed off by this point. But of course, the old team delivered the they last European Championships. Yeah. And so, uh, right. That's all we've got time for. Um, by that, I mean, we're massively overrunning. So we're not going to do Hungary. <laughs> we're just going to say... Good luck, all the best in your endeavours. Uh, we will be doing Week in the Tackles during the tournament. Of course, you can follow the European Championships on Sirius XMFC. ESPN's coverage will be broadcast on Sirius XMFC and we'll be doing post-game and pre-game for all of our shows across the networks so and make sure you're with us uh, for all of it. We cannot end this show, though, without you telling me who's going to win it so we can lord it over you in the same way I told you three weeks in advance that Chelsea were going to win the Champions League. Oh, that was right. Oh, right. I think England does it. I'm going to go with England. I'm going to take it off your table, you absolute homer, and I'm going to say that England wins the Euros. Wow. wow. Curveball. It's a curveball because I know you're wrong all the time, so it disappoints me that you said that. Because if that, you just said someone else, I'd have kept my positivity. That's called the mush right there. Oh, have you ever heard of the mush? That's the mush. A, such a blow. Um, 
I am going to stick with France because it's going to be France. This whole thing's a waste of our time. In fact, no more shows, no coverage. We can reconvene uh, on the date of the final. What's that? July 11th, when France beat pretty much anybody, let's say Denmark, to uh, to win the European Championships. Uh, that's this week's show. We'll be back when the tournament's underway and we are off the beach. We're back for more European Championship discussion and whatever else tickles our fancy next week. Uh, Wicked the Tackle returns next Monday. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, do give us a five-star rating, leave a review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Wicked the Tackle also available on the Sirius XM app. It is free for most subscribers. Download it today and tap podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SiriusXMFC. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's program director, Joe Tolleson. SiriusXM Podcasts.